We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 88 of the Biohacker Babes podcast. I'm Renee and I'm here with my sister, Lauren. Hey everyone. And we're going to be bringing on an awesome guest for you today. We have James Berry coming on and oh my gosh, Lauren, we were just like, this episode was so amazing. Out, I'm obsessed yeah. with him. He's already my favorite chef. One of my favorite people in this space. <laughs> He's just so awesome. Yeah. He's a great speaker. He has so much knowledge on the topic of organ meats, but also, I mean, just nutrition, how to create healthier habits, create a healthier lifestyle. I mean, he's so well-rounded and very down to earth and just shares some incredible information with us today. Yeah. He's so unique as a chef because he knows how to cook amazing food, but he found a problem in the food industry and he created such a clear, simple solution with this organ based meat seasoning. It just solves all of our nutrition problems, not all of our problems, but it's just such a simple functional way to get more nutrition into your diet. So easy. It's one of those things that I'm like, Oh man, I wish I had thought of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So his company is called pluck. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about him in just a second, but so yeah, pluck is this organ based or organ meat based seasoning and it just tastes delicious. I was already sprinkling it on just like some meats, like my chicken and beef, but it sounds like you can really put it on anything you want, like eggs and avocado, Mm. maybe even ice cream. I mean, you can put it on whatever you think it tastes good on. And you're right. He solves all the obstacles. There's just no reason we shouldn't all be using this on a daily basis. No yeah. excuses. So buy pluck right now. We'll, yes. <laughs> we'll share our discount code at the end of this episode. You do have to listen first. <laughs> yes. You got to get through it. Great. So let me tell you a little bit more about James. So James Barry's 16 plus years in the culinary field started as a private chef. His inauguration into restaurant style cooking came later when he was the vegan vegetarian chef on the Van's Warp tour, which traveled to 50 North American cities in 60 days. Upon returning to LA, James continued as a private chef and had the fortune of cooking for celebrities such as Tom Cruise, Mariska Hargitay, George Clooney, Gerard Butler, Sean Puffy Combs, Barbara Streisand, and John Cusack. Quite the list. (laughs) And not wanting to limit the audience of his healthy and tasty style of cooking, James started Wholesome to Go, a healthy, high-quality food delivery company that served under his leadership in the LA area for eight years. Most recently, James launched his first functional food product, Pluck, an organ-based all-purpose seasoning. It's the first of its kind and is an amazingly easy and delicious way for people to get organ meats into their diet. James also co-authored the recipes in Margaret Floyd's book, Eat Naked, and co-authored the follow-up cookbook, The Naked Foods Cookbook. He most recently co-authored the recipes in Dr. Alejandra Hunger's book, Clean 7. Wow. That's just amazing. I can't wait for y'all to meet him today. This is going to be a great show. Yeah, he's doing incredible things. We really hope you enjoy this nutrition lesson and healthy habits education. So here we go. Here's James. Welcome, James, to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We're thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be talking to both of you. 
Yeah. This is a really big deal for us. You are the first chef to be on our show. Yay. (laughs) I mean, we talk about nutrition all the time and, you know, I think nutrition should be synonymous with what we're cooking in the kitchen. Um, so I'm really excited to meet a chef that is so knowledgeable about nutrient dense foods. And we're going to get into a deep dive all about organ meats. I think, you know, when people first hear organ meats, they're like, Oh, I don't, I'm not going to cook that. I'm not going to eat that, but it's so important to have it in our diet. And so we're excited to have an expert on that topic on the show. Gosh, we have so many questions for you today, but I think to start it off for everyone, why organ meats? Why do we need to be eating that? (laughs) Well, you know, I always look at it. I look at life and I look at our food choices and, you know, in many ways, our food choices are curated. We, We think it's not, but it really is. It's controlled by you know, I, I know the numbers change is between seven and nine companies really, but there are, there are, there's literally marketing. There's people that are figuring out what are the trends, what's going to come notice quinoa wasn't around in the seventies, you know, marketed wise, <laughs> but it was later, right? It's like, there's someone actually controlling when these things are introduced. There's people traveling the world. They're figuring out what is the next thing that's going to excite people. That's going to bring in profits. You know, th- that's really what's going on. So I always look at, well, what are, what are the trends? What are, when I'm working with clients, it's always about, um, what is the current trend, but I'm always trying to think of what is moving forward. And then, you know, I've been in the business now over 16 years and there's, I mean, I can't even tell you how many different food trends that there have been in that time. Right. Yeah. yeah. There have been so many. I remember when I first started out in my career, it was the fat flush diet book. That was the big book that at the time, fat flush, fat flush. Okay. And, you know, of course there's been so many detox and diet books since then. Um, South beach diet was big. Uh, Adkins was huge t- too. When I first started and paleo wasn't even a term, right? <laughs> it didn't even exist. Right. When I first right. Started right. Out. Existed. We just didn't call it that, I guess. Right. Exactly. But so when I look at health though, I always like, well, what, what are the foods that are, are not a trend? Like, what is it that that doesn't matter what decade you're in? It's, it's a constant. And to me, it's whole foods. And so I'm always looking for foods that are going to be nutrient dense, that are whole food based, that are not processed, that are basically how they are found in nature. And organ meats is one of nature's most nutrient dense foods. It's, it's literally, if you look at food as godly, it is, it is nature's or God's or the universe's gift to us as one of the most nutrient dense foods. And our ancestors ate it all the time, Mm -hmm. but yet we don't. And so that, when I look at that, I'm like, well, what's going on here? We are given this gift of this incredibly nutrient dense and bioavailable, which is really key. Cause I think people talk about, Oh, well, kale is nutrient dense. Well, if you're, if you're, if you're listening to Dave Asprey right now, no, it's not. (laughs) He's on a a kick right now. I'm just telling people, no, kale is bad. Kale is bad. Kale is bad. So yeah. yeah. Same with Paul Saladino. He's like death death by kale. Yeah, totally. Death by kale. Yes. (laughs) And so when people think of nutrient dense, they're just thinking of what has lots of nutrients, but I don't care about that as much. I care about the bioavailability of those nutrients because I can feed you the best food in the world, but if your body's not absorbing it, if your body's not working correctly, optimally, then who cares? Who cares what you put in it? And so I'm looking for those bioavailable nutrients and organ meats are bioavailable. They are whole foods. The, the, the iron, for example, in liver is heme iron. That is bioavailable. That means your body can reckon a recognize it and absorb it way more than if you took an iron, you know, magnesium pill way more, right. It's any, it's going to just trump any synthetic vitamin, you know? Yeah. Or even like a vegetable. I think people think, Oh, iron, I can get that from my spinach. Nope. But are we really getting it from there? No, you're not. Yeah, exactly. They've, they've, they're, they've actually tested that and shown that you get way more iron in, in uh, liver and beef liver than you do. And I mean, if you put liver or any, I mean, usually it's liver that they, they put up against all the other vegetables or even meat. I mean, really when they can do comparisons, it's usually with beef liver, but if you put it up against anything and it just blows it out of the water and it's insane. The numbers, it's not like, Oh, uh, just one point one over or something. No, it's 10 times or mm. seven times the amount of kale or blue, you know, you pick, you pick whatever people think is nutrient and beef liver will blow it out of the water. Wow. wow. Such an interesting argument because 
everyone is now learning that our soils are depleted. So take a supplement because you can't get it all from food. When I start with clients, the first thing I do is look at their supplements and everyone's taking a shitty multivitamin. You're not absorbing that. And you're probably putting more crap in your body. Let's get back to the food and deal with the issues of bioavailability. It, it's so true. I mean, the synthetic vitamins, the absorption rate of that is is very low. And so I always think of, um, so, you know, you mentioned I'm the first chef, which I'm so excited to be the first <laughs> chef on your show. But one thing that I always point out or how I work so well with dietitians, nutritionists, doctors, is that people, I'm, I'm like the how guy. So they're the why and the what. This is why you're feeling this way. And this is what you need to do. But then the people go, what, what, how do I do that? Because learning how to do these things, like you can be told, okay, you can't eat mm -hmm. this, this, or that. But if that's what you know, then, then it changes everything. Like if someone says you can't do, I don't know, what's a pop, like olive oil, or you can't do dairy. A lot of people freak out. They're like, I don't know how to cook without butter, mm -hmm. or I don't know how to cook without olive oil, or I don't know how to cook with, you know, you, you fill it in. And that's where I come in. I'm like, okay, I'm the how guy. I'm like the technician. I've worked in the field for so long that if you tell me I can't, you can't do lemons, I have a solution for you. You know what I mean? I can just work food sensitivities and allergies. And so when people tell me, oh, I'm, so, I'm, I'm a, I have two kind of big pet peeves. One is I've self-diagnosed a, I've self-diagnosed and B I am, um, I'm taking these pills. Okay. So one, if you self-diagnosed, <laughs> you probably are doing something you don't need to for so long. Cause most, most, most health protocols are between three and six months. So if you're doing something for years then you're probably not doing it very efficiently or well, and you're probably self-diagnosed because you were trying to save money. But if you've been doing something for years and you're already spending more than you would have in three or six months, right? Right. Exactly. And then secondly, if you're taking, taking anything synthetic, anything that's not whole food based, your body's not absorbing it the way it would, if it was whole food based, you're missing out on so many other nutrients and you're in a sense, just kind of washing, you know, you're, you're flushing your money down the drain because you're spending so much money on vitamin C tablets when you could have just had an orange, you know, you know, just mm -hmm. using that as an example. Yeah. Cause yeah. you're not getting all the polyphenols and the antioxidants and the minerals that go with that ascorbic and acid. And it's very American. I've spent some time in Europe. I, I lived in um, Berlin for, uh, for a while when I was working for a client and and it was so interesting because I got to know the, I was staying at a hotel for, I was there about, um, I think it was six months. And, and I got to know a lot of the Germans in the hotel and that's how they talk. They were like, they were like, oh yeah, I'm feeling sick today. I'm going to eat an orange. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. You know, vitamin C tablet. It's like, no, why would I do that? I would eat whole foods. I'm like, yeah. 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 You know, yeah. It's, so it's very American to look for the magic pill. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then when it comes to organ meats, I mean, other cultures and still countries around the world, Americans travel to these countries. They're like, why are you eating kidney and ear and feet? But everyone else seems to be doing it. And like you said earlier, our ancestors did it. And I think most of us know an older generation. We can all say our grandmothers ate liver and onions. That was a staple in the diet. And then it yeah. disappeared. I don't know if that was because of the fat-free craze or why do you think that went away? Well, it's interesting when you learn the history. So, um, organ meats before world war II were seen as kind of poor people's food because they were the cheaper cuts, you know? And, and, um, wow. and so in many ways, many kind of classes, it was, there was very much a class system around what cut of meat you ate. But during world war II, there was so much meat protein, muscle protein getting sent to troops abroad that they basically, the government started campaign to encourage people to eat organ meats because they were so worried of shortages. And so they, they, were, they put money into educating people and making sure people ate organs. And so our, you know, depending on how old someone is, either your grandparents or your great grandparents were part of that campaign. And so they were mm -hmm. taught to eat organ meats. And, um, that's mm -hmm. why so many of them were doing the liver and onions. And, um, and I think though, that, we then lost it because I think two things, I think that, um, one, once we got out of the war and muscle meat was available, people then defaulted back to that. And I think once again, it became a, a economic or classist kind of way of eating. 
But I also think that um, many of our ancestors, the way things were prepared back in the day, they were just kind of boiled to death. You know, there was a lot of fear of totally. disease or, or, you know, something coming pathogens coming from the food. So the things were just boiled or just destroyed, you know, overcooked. Yeah. You know, I talked to even my people, my mother's age and they you know, in their seventies, eighties, and they all tell me like, Oh yeah, everything was just overcooked then. So it didn't have tons of flavor. So I think the kids that were forced to eat liver and onions were like, yeah, I, I, they didn't want to continue that trend. Cause they didn't like the taste. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely heard our mom and dad talk about that, how they were forced to eat liver as kids and it was disgusting and the vegetables were canned and nasty. And so then when we were born, I think our parents were like, well, we're not going to do that to our kids. We're not going to make them, make them eat that gross stuff. But then we missed out on that explosion of cereals and snack bars and sugary everything. I know you grew up in the seventies, you ate that stuff and we were eighties babies and ate all the crap. (laughs) Yeah. No. And now we're all paying for it. Right. I mean, it's sad, but it's not like, what was it? I think two years ago, they, they came out with that. I mean, I forget the term of how they use it, but basically that people were going to die earlier than our ancestors, you know, mm-hmm. things like that, or that, pe- that yeah. the health of, of someone today is worse than someone of 10 years ago or something like that. So the mortality Crazy. rate was actually had lowered. I think that's what right. They said. Right. Yeah. When our longevity was increasing for so long, now we're kind of having a turnaround track. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, that's, what's so hard. It's, it's like, I see that things are not getting better. You know, there's, you know, you would think that we have so much more awareness now we have the internet, we, we have education at our fingertips 24 seven. And yet what that is created is just more confusion. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't see people getting healthier necessarily. What I see is people getting confused and then making emotional choices or letting, you know, the government, you know, or, or, you know, we have this idea that if it's on the grocery shelf, then it must be healthy for us or, or approved, you know, that it must be safe. I, I, I won't mm-hmm. say healthy, but let's just say safe. It must be safe for us, but that's actually completely incorrect that most our, our government does not oversee these things that really what happens is, is that it's, it's basically the companies get to oversee their own product, all these new fangled flavorings and these new ingredients that people don't have much of a marker for, or we don't know how our bodies are going to respond. That's because no one's really tested them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think right. we're even still learning that, you know, these um, keto uh, kind of zero calorie sweeteners, even that, you know, when they first came out, everyone was like, Oh my gosh, I can eat this and not, you know, I have no impact. And now we're finding out actually there is an impact. You know, I, I think that we're constantly looking for that, that magic pill. But once again, to me, it's like, it, we're not going to find it. If we keep looking for this, a new fangled thing that we have to look to the past and we have to look for heirloom. We have to look for heritage. We have to look for these ingredients that are whole based that our bodies recognize that have been in our lexicon for a long time. Right. If Absolutely. we've been eating it for thousands of years, it's probably a good sign that we need it. Opposed yeah. to, you know, um, I don't know, you name monk fruit, you know, that hasn't been in our diets very long, you know? Right. I know it's very, now they're questioning whether monk fruit and stevia are disrupting the gut microbiome. Totally. We don't know. It's still so new, but I'm sure we'll hear more in five, 10 years from now. Totally. And, you know, I, I, I fully admit, I have a little bit of a pet peeve with a lot of, um, diets is that, and this is one thing that, um, I'm trying to do differently with cluck, my, the company that I've just created. Um, and the, the pet peeve I have is that if you think about it, every new trend, every food diet that comes out, what is the number one thing that first happens with that diet is there's a plethora of people trying to figure out how can I make desserts with this? Yeah. Diet? You know I mean? Yes. Yes. Like, how, how can I satisfy my cravings? <laughs> exactly. Right. Like in no way do we deal with any aspect of the addictive part. We just go, how can this diet serve my addictions? How yeah. can I still drink wine and have a be keto? How can I still eat desserts and have a be keto? I mean, you look at every diet that comes out on the market. The f- first thing that you get bamboos, you know, bombarded with is is dessert recipes and how to, how to hack your cravings or your, your addictions into this diet. That's a really good point. Now I'm thinking there's actually a really popular paleo website that has a ton of recipes and their free ebook, I think was like 50 paleo desserts. 
Yeah. That was like the, I can't stand that. All the email campaigns I get, if there's dessert on there, I'm like, stop it. Where's the food? Give me the food. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But but, I mean, to me, that's, that is an issue is because what what we're doing is we're constantly just masking the deeper issues is that we, we are a nutrient deficient and that's why we crave so much sugar and, and we're emotionally eating. So there's clearly there's, there's, there's a disconnect because in the past we connected flavor with nutrition. Back in the day, flavor equaled nutrition. And now we're comp- our bodies are so confused because that's not what flavor equals, right? When mm-hmm. you eat things from, from processed, uh, marketed products from the grocery store, there is intense flavor, but the, there's no nutrition. So our body does not know what to do with that. And it just wants more and more. And that is one of the issues with some of these keto desserts. They're using these zero calorie, these, these nutrient deficient sugars. And so our bodies are getting this sweetness that, that we associate with certain nutrition. And yet there's nothing there. Now, fortunately with the keto desserts, you have the fat, which is eventually going to stop the craving, but it's still an issue around nutrients. Our body thinks that flavor equals nutrients and we do not live in that age. And so Mm -hmm. When you see people that are hugely overweight or struggling with their addictions, I'm like, I get it. I I feel so much for all of us because we are being manipulated. It is not all of our fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The brain's not getting triggered to, to know that nutrition is coming in or out. And then, you know, hunger hormones, ghrelin, leptin are completely reversed. Gut microbiome is disrupted and you can't get out of it. It's like a never ending cycle. It's really hard. And you just see so many people struggling and then, you know, couple that with the confusion of like, well, what diet diet do I follow? We've completely lost our innate knowledge of what our body needs. This is really interesting. I think you both will enjoy this. So I just recently did the carnivore diet and I did that for, I was experimenting, you know, treating myself like a guinea pig. I do that. Like I just, I see how things work. You're a biohacker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I did the carnivore diet. I did it for 24 weeks, 28 days. And, um, it was really fascinating because, uh, if you learn from the carnivore diet, there are certain nutrients that you can get from, from, if, from, you know, the, the animal products, but then there's certain that you really can't like vitamin C is one. You just, it's really right. hard to get, you can get it from oysters and salmon, but even then you have to eat a lot of them to get some, even a small percentage. So in many ways, it's pretty challenging to get vitamin C when you're doing the carnivore diet. And I was on carnivore diet for 28 days, but the first week we had some, uh, we had some oranges and apples on our, on our counter. And every time I walked by, I was like craving them like crazy. I'm like, what is going on? Cause I, I like them, but I don't usually go crazy for that stuff. But I was like, I could not, I was like dreaming about apples and oranges. Oh gosh. Your body was like, please give me vitamin C, please. I was like, oh, well, I didn't know that. Right. And then I learned that, oh, the body is deficient in vitamin C when you're doing the carnivore diet. And I'm like, this is interesting. I'm like, okay, I'm going to test this. So I was two weeks in and I, and I noticed I was now not craving the apples and I was really just craving the oranges. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a, a vitamin C, a really, you know, good quality vitamin C tablet. And I'm going to see if that removes the craving. And it totally did. The minute I took the wow. vitamin C, the craving for the oranges disappeared. And I, I, I then walked by them and I could care less. And so wow. to me, I was like, oh, this is so exciting. Like I'm now tapping totally. the innate knowledge of what my body needs. And I believe yeah. that that is the power. Like that is what we, that is my goal is to get back to that. That yeah. is my mm-hmm. absolute goal. But you already eat real food. So you're not that far away from it. So many people have so many steps ahead of them to just remove the cravings, reset the biome, all the things we already talked about. You have more intuition than most people. I think we probably have more mm-hmm. intuition than most people. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and also I'm, I'm incredibly lucky. I mean, cause you know, health sadly is associated with, with what you can afford, you know I mean? Like yeah. healthy food is so expensive. And so I'm very fortunate and lucky that I can afford, you know, high quality meat, you know, pasture raised meat. I can afford to buy, you know, uh, an apple versus, you know, some people struggle so much from paycheck to paycheck that a, a Big Mac or whatever a hamburger from McDonald's is cheaper than an apple, which it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It is. Sad. You have a dollar. Are you going to spend that on an apple, which is what an apple costs, an organic apple, or are you going to buy a hamburger? Right. And that's, they've showed that in many documentaries that people, people will choose the hamburger because they associate that as more of a complete meal. So I definitely, I, I, I am very lucky that I can. 
Um, yeah. Well, food is topic. such a survival thing. I mean, if you have food, that means you're out of scarcity and out of famine. So what is the quickest, easiest thing to do? Yeah. So I'd love to talk more about the actual nutrition. You mentioned vitamin C is missing from the carnivore diet. I mean, this topic of vegan, vegetarian, plant-based versus carnivore is so debated these days. And I, Renee and I think there's a healthy balance somewhere in between. If you're doing strict carnivore and you're focusing more on muscle meats, you're going to miss out on some of these key nutrients, but yeah. organ meats, I think really balance out amino acids. I know pluck has vitamin C. Can you talk about exactly what we're getting? If you yeah, are absolutely I mean, really, that that's what I learned about the carnivore diet, by the way, uh, is that, you know, you really have to eat the full animal. You cannot just eat muscle meat. Um, you will be nutrient deficient. You'll have lots of issues if you do. You, so anyone that's thinking of carnivore diet, you really, you have to be willing to eat every part of that animal. Um, which mm. is challenging because, mm -hmm. because a, like you pointed out earlier, um, we associate icky taste with organ meat. We don't know how to cook it anymore. And, um, we don't want to necessarily carry it in our refrigerators because then you're dealing with the sliminess or the bloodiness, you know what I mean? So a lot of people are just disconnected from what it takes to eat those products. Um, and that's why pluck is so powerful, so powerful. So it's a, it's a, Pluck is the five organ based seasoning. It's the, um, it's liver, kidney, heart, spleen, and pancreas. And the vitamins that you can get from organ meat are amazing. So you get basically all of them, A, B, C, D, E, and K. The nutrients uh, it's, and once again, these are bioavailable nutrients. They're essential minerals like iron, calcium, copper, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, and zinc. I mean, everything you need to create life, right? This is all the food yeah, yeah. That, that you're told when you're trying to get pregnant, you should be eating, you know, you should have what, what's in a prenatal vitamin. It's everything I just mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. So in a sense, you could look at organ meats as providing life because it's everything we need. And, and like do you, earlier, do you provide all the organs? Cause you're getting a different ratio of nutrients from each organ. Yeah. So that, I'm so glad you asked that because so the reason I'm doing five and pluck is because there's this idea of like supports like. So each organ does have, you know, it's its own, it's it they all kind of cross over, but CoQ10 is in heart, for example. There's certain there's certain nutrients that are going to be higher in the other organs. And like in pancreas, for example, there are an, an enzymes that are not in the others. So there's, hmm. there's crossover and there's this ancestral belief that if, if we eat liver, it's going to support our liver. If we eat pancreas, it's going to support our pancreas. So there, it's a very native American ancestral concept, but it, but I do believe it. I do believe just like the energy you put into the food you make is the energy you're going to get just like the, the, mm -hmm. the way you take care of a cow and the way you feed it, that, that energy, that new, those nutrients, that how you treat them humanely, that's what you're going to eat when you, when you eat, you know, eat animal, mm -hmm. it, it, there's all crossover. And, and so the same thing, I believe with organ meat, if you're, if you're eating organs, they're going to support your organs. So that's why the five blend that we use is supporting all those different organs. And we're, we're complementing, we're getting more nutrients than we would if we just put liver in there. Hmm. It's just so practical. I buy organ meats. I get from crowd cow and us wellness meats. And I have a massive Wagyu beef liver in my freezer right now, but it's just the liver. And I keep staring at it. I'm like, I know how to cook this, but you know, the last time I made liver, I ate a little too much. And that flavor just kind of put me off. But yeah. even if I were to cook it, I'm missing out on so many other things. And you have just totally created the easiest solution for that. Yeah. You know, I thank you. I, I, that is the motivation behind pluck is I really want to make health, not only easy, but truly achievable. And the reality is, is even, yeah, here you are someone who's very healthy, someone who's very conscious about what they put in their body. And even you're struggling to, to, to do the organ meat, which is something you want more often than you don't. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, but it's challenging. I mean, like we said, so it's the taste is challenging. So these are the kind of solutions that I wanted to solve. So one is the taste. One is people free, you know, being feeling overwhelmed on how to cook it and, or just the steps it takes to cook it, you know, that it seems so <laughs> labor intensive. Yeah. Um, three is that people, if they are doing organ meat, they're probably doing supplements and they are sometimes forgetting to take their supplements. So I wanted to solve that. And that's why, um, I basically took the organ meats and I complemented them with herbs and spices that offset the taste. Cause you both have tasted pluck. It doesn't taste like organ meat, right? 
No, it's no, just nothing like I've had. seasoning. It's like yeah. salt, really good salt. Yeah, so boom, so right there solved. Cause there is organ meat. I mean, there's like a good amount of organ meat in there and yet you don't taste it. So boom, I've just solved the, does it taste icky or does it taste metallic or irony? You know, like the way liver sometimes does. So yeah, that's that solved. Second one is, okay, how do I cook organ meat? Well, with cluck, you can sprinkle it on anything. I mean, I have families putting it on popcorn. I have, I, I put it on sometimes when I give my, we're, we're gluten-free. So we have some gluten-free, uh, sourdough toast sometimes. And I, we put it on the toast for the kids. It just it, like, you could put it on anything. You can put it in your ground meat before you make the hamburgers and you can sprinkle it on afterwards. You can, you really don't have to know how to cook. You can sprinkle it on your to-go food. If you want, you, you don't, you could do whatever you want with it and you'll mm-hmm. still be yeah. adding nutrients to something that didn't have them before. And, um, yeah. and then the third thing is if you put it on everything, you don't have to worry about remembering to take a pill. You just treat it like salt and pepper. So you're, you're already, you know, seasoning your food. So, so putting, changing instead of salt and pepper, you're using plucks. So now you're getting all the nutrients and everything you put it on and you don't have to think about it. So there, and I love, I love taking out that decision fatigue. I think we're so overwhelmed. We <laughs> so are. Take that out. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm already thinking my decision fatigue, that mindset goes, well, how much are we supposed to use? Is there a recommended dosage or do we just not, should we take the guesswork out of it and don't overthink it and just add it to our liking? Yeah. I, so I specifically designed it so that you could add it to your liking. So, and this is, this is kind of answers that pet peeve I have about people self-diagnosing. I'm not a supplement. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a supplement company. So for me to be like, here is your, your daily allowance of iron or magnesium, or, you know, any of the vitamins and minerals I, I named for me to put a hundred percent in that spice mix and be like, this is your day. How do I know what your daily magnet? Yeah. Like, I don't know where you're at. Uh-huh. How can I possibly diagnose you? Because if you're already, let's just say you already have enough iron in your body. And then I give you organ meat that is incredibly high in iron and is heme iron. So it's bioavailable. Then I am now pushing you into danger zone. You now have too much and mm-hmm. people don't, they, they forget that. They think that, Oh, there's, you can always, there's, you can always, um, there's never too much. It's like, no, there is, there is, you can have too little and you can have too much. Mm-hmm. And, and I just was like, I don't want to pretend I know where you're at. So I basically specifically made sure that I added enough where if you take it, you are getting nutrients where you were previously not, but I didn't add so much that I could push anyone into a danger zone. And so that was kind of the delicate balance. And I really went by taste. I mean, I, 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 if, um, it's kind of, this is a little bit of an insider's tidbit. So the FDA, USDA, when they are assessing products, one of the ways to, um, not have the USDA oversee, cause anything that has a certain percentage of meat or dairy in it is going to be USDA. And you don't want to be overseen by the USDA because it's, it requires a lot of, it's much more complicated. It requires a lot more certifications for your kitchen. It's just, it's a little bit more stringent because of its meat and dairy. Well, when I was creating this product, when the USDA came knocking on my door, they basically said, well, don't, you know, you could just put 2% in and then we don't, we won't care. Like you, we won't oversee you. You'll be FDA or you won't, no one will care. And I'm like, yeah, but if I put 2% organ meat in this product and people are sprinkling it on, you know, from an eighth of a teaspoon to a fourth of a teaspoon. And I mean, I'm going to do exactly what I hate, which is I'm going to be creating false impression of health. I'm basically, you know, companies do that. Oh, it's multi-grain. So that means it's better or it's this or that. They, they try to make all these health claims, but the reality is, is it's still, it's still corn chips, but it just has chia seeds in it. You know what I mean? Or whatever it is. It's like terrible. It's just horrible, right? They're just trying to play off. You know, they're just trying to make, get, capture our money. And I just, I could not do that. I was like, I am not going to create a product with the illusion of health. So mm-hmm. I put in a percentage that was high enough where the USDA has to oversee the product. Wow, and that's really it's awesome. It's harder for me, but then it's like, well, this makes it actually truly healthy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we but appreciate that. Much, I mean, really, it is by taste. Gosh, I mean, I put between, you know, like, let's say I'm doing two eggs. I probably put about like two to three pinches on that. So that's about a fourth of a teaspoon. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, if a pinch is about an eighth of a teaspoon, so I'm usually doing about a, f- a fourth of a teaspoon, but I've mm-hmm. done maybe, you know, maybe slightly over that sometimes depends, but I really just go from taste to me. It's like, you know, if you've ever had a really good sea salt, you, mm-hmm. you just stick your finger and you taste it and you're like, Ooh, and your body kind of tells you to keep going. And then at one point your body's like, Nope, I'm done. No more yep. sea salt. I'm, yeah, I'm just totally. done. Right? That's mm-hmm. to me. That's how this product is. Mm, like, you'll know when it's enough. Yeah. You'll know, You're, you'll know like, Oh, I'm, I, it's seasoned. Well, this is good. Mm-hmm. That and that sense. actually kind of, that kind of speaks to something really interesting is kids love this product. They love it. That's awesome. Like they stick their fingers in it and they want it. And I have not met a kid that doesn't like it. And it kind of like people ask, why is that? Well, I I'm like, okay, well, partially it does taste good. I mean, you guys, you, you both can attest yeah. to that, but I think it's also connected to that our that intuitive knowledge of what our bodies need. And I think kids are very nutrient deficient, particularly if they're eating standard American diets. And -hmm. I think when the kids taste this, their body is responding to the umami, the natural umami that's in organ meat. It's responding to the natural nutrients that are in organ meat. And it's saying, give me more, just like we would if we were salt deficient. Hmm. I, I, I think that is why, because I cannot get over how much kids love this. Yeah. Well, I have a funny story. I don't have kids, but I have a cat and I was leaving my pluck next to the oven, like with my salt and pepper. So it'd be easy for me to put on my cat immediately got to it, knocked it off the counter and was sniffing it and kicking it around. <laughs> I'm like, even my cat knows there's some goodies in there. So I have, now I have to hide it in my cabinet from him. <laughs> yeah. Cats and kids are the most intuitive. That's hilarious. Just follow their lead. <laughs> I know, right. Yeah. It's true. Right. I mean, what, what, when you're in the wild, and I know we've seen this in, you know, movies, particularly wildlife movies, but like, what's the first thing when there's an animal, when a, when a carnivore animal kills an, uh, you know, a deer or any kind of other animal, what is the first thing they eat? It's the, they eat the organs. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You know, and, yeah. and technically even ancestrally, if you kill an animal, if you shoot it or and you go hunting, there's, there's stories of people that you'll cut out the heart and you'll eat the heart raw, you know, things like that. And that's one of the ways to, um, honor the animal you just killed, but it's also because it's one of the most nutrient dense products, that animal. Yeah. I was a part of a bison killing ceremony. I got to watch it and they did, they immediately pulled out the organs. They made us bison soup and it was organs and the muscle meat all in one little dish, which was kind of hard to watch. I'd never seen that before, but now I'm like, Oh man why are we doing this? Yeah. That must've been incredible. Did, did anyone eat anything raw or was it all cooked? No, it was cooked. Okay. Yeah. Cause there were a lot of visitors. We were, we were visitors there and I'm sure someone did. I didn't. And I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. So that's I, incredible to be in touch with the animals now. I mean, cause we're so used to yeah. seeing it behind plastic or, you know, or glass, you know, we don't, we don't connect. Yeah the part that we're eating to the actual animal. And, and that's one thing that is really important to me is that we already spoke to this is that our ancestors did not just eat muscle meat. They, they ate all parts of the animal and more and more you're hearing this nose to tail eating. And I really think that's one of the reasons why we're so nutrient deficient is because we've lost the art of nose to tail eating. And that's one of the things I'm hoping to bring back with pluck by, by utilizing the organs, it's getting you one step closer to nose to tail eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are you also cooking organ meats in your house? Yeah, we do. Sometimes. Now, admittedly, I did not grow up with organs. And um, I sometimes have used that excuse of like, oh, I didn't grow up with it. So I don't have the taste for it. But that's, I think it's kind of a weak excuse on my part when I use that. I think the truth is, is, is that I, it's new. And so I'm just intimidated by it. I think that's, it's just that sure. simple. I'm just intimidated mm-hmm. by it. But because I'm now going down this path of like pushing organ meats on people, I'm like, okay, I got to walk my talk and I got to like cook. So we've been doing more and more. And so we started doing, um, this has been really fun. So I'll make a uh, heart jerky. I saw that recipe wow. on your website. Yeah. It's super good. It's like, I'm, I'm shocking myself at how much I love it. And it's once again, it's one of those things I'll eat the heart jerky and I'll be, and I'll be like, Ooh, this is so good. And then I'll eat, get to a certain point. I'm like, okay, I'm done. That was good. <laughs> Cause I think it's just so nutrient dense that my body's like, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Done. Similar like bone broth. You know what I mean? You drink bone broth. It's like, okay, I'm done. Good. Mm-hmm. You just know. Right. It's hard to um, overconsume it. Yeah, absolutely. And so I did that. Uh, recently made some yak liver pate. 
Um, I'm going to be posting that video soon. And that, what, what I love about pâtés, so I'm not, I don't gravitate toward pâtés. My wife does. She loves them. I don't gravitate towards that texture. It's not my, I'm not a creamy guy. Like I'm not, I'm not as into that kind of texture, but what I love about it though, is I love showing people how you don't have to do it with so much sweetener and you don't have to put so much sugar in it. If you buy it in the store, a lot of times it's just overly sweet and lots of Mm -hmm. different ingredients to offset the liver. Mm -hmm. But I show people how you can simply do like caramelized carrot, like not even caramelized, but like roasted carrots or like if you caramelize onion and then mix it with organs, the sugars in the, the natural sugars in the onion come out and it offsets the flavor. And one of the big, the, one of the um, main ingredients of pluck is onion. It's granulated onion. And it's because I find onion really helps to offset organ meat. So that's yeah. why liver and onions has been such a duo. Totally. I never thought about that. Totally. Is it, it just is. about the flavor or is there a synergistic effect with nutrients there? I don't know the nutrient if there is. Um, I, I tend to think that if something has been in kind of in the food history for a long time, there probably is some innate, innate thing about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like sushi and sake have been around for so long, right? And if you think about it, well, there's pathogens in raw fish. And so this, but the sake helps to kill it. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you huh. start to connect, you know, these, and these kind of these, um, other countries and their, and their, their practices, you know, same with India and curries, right? Curries are really spicy. So once again, any, any, any kind of country that has a food that is ingrained, that's part of their natural food habits. And you see that it's really spicy, like Mexico, India, really most of Asia, right? It's, it's probably because ancestrally, that was one way to kill any pathogens in the, in the, meats or the things that were used. Hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, so I, that, so I do tend to look at things like that. Like there's probably a reason, but uh, flavor wise is definitely the obvious one. It yeah. really do that recipe. Flavor. I love liver pate. So I need that recipe. Okay. Well, yeah, me out. too, actually. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll verbally tell everyone it's really, it's quite simple. I mean, it's, it's really like, you know, onions and garlic are a big flavor they hide the flavor of organs. So you want to just do onions, mostly a little bit of garlic, and then pick anything that's can be sweet. So that could be carrots, sweet potato, that could be apple, you know, any, anything that when you cook it a little bit, it's going to get sweeter, but won't kind of like overtake the flavor. Like you don't want to do beets, beets get sweeter, but you want, don't want to do beets because that will overtake the flavor, then the whole thing will a will overtake the color and then also the flavor, but carrots and sweet potato. I said, apple, any of those ingredients, you combine that with the onions and the garlic and then blend it with your, you cook the liver a little bit, but then blend it all together. And then lots of fat. So butter. That sounds delicious. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's really that simple. I mean, and then, you know, you can season it. I even, now this is something people don't think would work, but it does is you can actually add pluck the, the organ seasoning to your organ recipes and it still works. Oh, great. It works. Pluck kind of is pretty amazing. It works for, I haven't found one thing it doesn't work for. It's pretty versatile and admittedly we're still learning what it works for. I mean, my, my habit is not to, I don't necessarily gravitate towards sweet things. So when I was developing pluck, I wasn't trying it on fruits and I wasn't trying it on ice creams or any, any, cookies. I wasn't thinking like that. It's just not where my, my palate goes, but we're finding people that are using it now. Like we've been told like, Oh, I tried it on pears. I tried it on pomegranates and they're saying it's delicious. I'm like, Oh, cool. Yeah. I wouldn't think that, but that's great. Yeah. You know, that's, it's kind of fun. Yeah. So James, I kind of have a burning question for you. One of the big debates I've heard over the years is don't eat liver because that's where the animal is storing their toxins and filtering their toxins. Can you talk about that? Like, is that, should we be worried about that? Is that why we, we need grass fed, grass finished? Yeah. Quality is definitely key. I mean, I think any, you know, any conventional meat is, is going to be an unhealthy animal because they're, they are, they're, they're purposely breeding the animals are purposely, those animals are designed to create mass and bulk up as fast as they can, which is, means that they're going to be not as nutrient dense. They're giving them feed that bulks them up really quickly. They're giving them sludge, sewer sludge stuff. I mean, it's just, if you look into any kind of conventional meats and that goes for chip poultry too. I just did a really massive thing on my Instagram around poultry and, um, uh, it's, it's pretty disgusting. 
I'm, I'm all for people that are like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't like animals. I'm like, yeah, yeah. If you're talking conventional meat, I wholeheartedly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%, it's like, so different. Even just to give a little what I learned around the um, the chickens. So like the breed of chicken they're using, it's a very specific breed. There's there's basically seven companies. Or it's either six or seven companies that control the entire poultry industry. And they also control who gets these chickens that they have, they have bred specifically. And this breed of chicken grows to um, the size that you find in the grocery store in seven weeks. And Ooh. it grows so fast. It grows so fast that the chicken's hearts and in, in organs cannot keep up. So a lot of these chickens die from heart attacks because their, their hearts are adolescent, but their body is like, you know, humongous. It, they, yeah. they were equating it in this, this one documentary I saw, they were equating it to, if we did to a child, what they do to chickens, you would have a child at the age of, I think it was like 14 weeks and they would be 300 pounds. Wow. Like, oh my gosh. You know, like, that's how offset like the poultry and these chickens are so overweight that they can't walk very well because their bones can't handle the weight. So this whole idea of like, Oh, chickens going out and pasture being pastured, they don't want to go out there a because they want to stay in the shade and B because they can't really carry the weight. They're so breast heavy that they can't. And this is how they've been bred. So, and this is something like 98% of the chickens out there. So if you're buying chicken in a grocery store and, and, or eating out at a restaurant, this is the chicken you're eating. And you could say, Oh, well, I eat vegetarian fed chicken. Well, actually chickens need protein. They need it. So if you're, if you're eating vegetarian fed chicken, you're actually causing harm to the chicken because the, the farmers just want to give you what you'll pay for. They don't care. You know, I mean, obviously there are farmers that do care, but I'm talking on a conventional side. They just, they just are trying to create product to fulfill the people that are paying them for that product. You know, whether mm -hmm. it's, um, I'm skipping on the names of some of the chicken manufacturers, but any of those people that are buying chickens from them, they're just trying to deliver the product that they, they want in a cheap way. Right. And this breed, they, this breed, uh, God, I lost my train of thought. I'm just going all over the place. Um, <laughs> I just, it's so, it's, so it is dizzying to think about yeah, the so poultry farms, this breed. but well, but so, I mean, vegetarian fed, that could oh, mean, that could be GMO corn and soy. I mean, like Holy, what thank you. I forgot. I was talking about the vegetarian so misled with claims, yes. but it sounds good. Vegetarian fed. Right. But so what happens is that because the, the chickens need that protein, they end up having to give them this synthetic form of protein and they, and they can't give them too much because it's all they're restricted on how much they can give them when it's organic. So it makes it really hard for the farmer to raise a healthier chicken. So it actually raises chickens that are not as healthy when you try to get vegetarian fed chickens, because they are natural carnivores. They will, they are designed to eat the worms, the insects, they need that protein. So wow. it's really, yeah, it's fascinating. But so getting to the point of, of your question, sourcing quality really does matter. And so, um, getting it from pastured animals, humanely raised animals and, and all, and all cows are grass fed. So it's, you can't just look for grass fed. You you have to look for grass fed, grass finished. Cause they're not, they're yeah, not all grass, all the finished, but they're all grass fed. Right. Right. So that's really important to know. It has to also say grass finished. Yeah. Cause that'd be, it could be one day of eating grass. Like, yeah. Oh yep, it yeah. Was grass they fed. had grass. Yeah. <laughs> one day of their lives. They're all, they all start out like... eating grass. Yep. They all start out. So, um, there's a lot of misconceptions around the industry, the agriculture and farming industry. And I, and I fully admit I am not an expert. I'm still learning. Um, but Holy moly, it is, it is, it is a very confusing and, um, misguided, um, Industry. part of our, of our food chain. It's, it's yeah. really yeah. bad. Um, that's why, I mean, you have to either know your farmer or really know where you're getting it from, like something like crowd cow or whatever, where you can really learn about what's going on. Otherwise you just don't so, know. This is such an interesting topic because what, what's so upsetting about even that piece, and this is what I was learning with chickens. It's like, so there's a specific breed that I mentioned. If you go on my, my Instagram is chef James Barry. And if you go on my Instagram, you'll see my poultry pieces. And I talk about that breed, but it's a certain cross breed. And that breed of chicken is the one that grows really fast. But you know, what's going on is that chicken is also 
because it's 99% of the chickens out there, that is what we think of as chicken. We think chickens are heavy, heavy breasted, and we think they're supposed to have a certain proportion of meat. We think they're supposed to have a certain look, but an, but a heritage bird is mostly dark meat and they're much smaller and they're more bonier. They have thicker bones. Hmm. They also have more nutrition. So it's a very different bird. And so if you are going to buy a heritage bird and you're like, oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, spend, and it's sometimes upward to $30 for a bird. I mean, it's expensive, right? It's still going to be less meat than you, if you paid this seven, you know, six ninety five for the other bird, right? So we have this preconception of what we want versus what we're willing to pay, right? Like we want the health, but we're also not willing to pay $30 for this other chicken with less meat. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And our eyes are used to seeing a certain size and we just always think bigger is better. Same with our produce, like apples are enormous these days. They're not totally, totally. But the reality is, is when you do it right, it doesn't look like that. And so these small farms are, they're dealing with that conundrum of like, okay, if I raise the better breed of chicken, I then have chicken that is more nutritious, but looks different than the other chickens and still costs more because it does cost a lot to raise a chicken. Right. Yeah. And I have talked to farmers and they said, yeah, people don't want to buy it. They don't want to buy it. So what these farmers, so most of these farms, these small farms, what they're doing is they're using the exact same breed that the other, the conventional are using, but they're just feeding them differently. So they, they grow a little slower, but they're still killing them early. They're Mm. still killing them at around 10 weeks when really the best tasting chicken is around 16 to 20 weeks. So there, there's just this conundrum of like, and I feel for every farmer out there, I mean, it is not an easy job, right? Absolutely. It costs a lot of money and then, but you're dealing with what people expect and what people are willing to buy. Mm -hmm. And those two do not always match up with what's, what's healthiest. So major, major problem. So you're sourcing from New Zealand. Is that correct? Yeah. So I source from New Zealand and, um, and to answer your original question that took us down this path. So we talked about the, how, and I go to New Zealand because they are, they are hundred, they're grass fed, they're grass finished. They're, um, they're not using GMO crops. Um, they're, they're not using some of the hormones, the, 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 the synthetics that we're adding to our meat here. And they also have a chain the established supply chain where they utilize the organs, where they take these organs and they, they have industry that are freeze drying them and getting them and then shipping here to the U S for supplements. Cause that's, they're, they're really used. Organ meats are used for two, two main principles for pet food and then for supplements. And um, sadly we do not have the infrastructure. We don't have companies that are freeze drying the, the domestic product because freeze drying facilities are limited and it's mostly being used for fruit and vegetables. So, and survival wow. foods. But, yeah. My uh, organ supplements are from New Zealand. Yeah. They're going yeah, to either be New Zealand or Argentina. Those are the two countries oh. that are actually have an infrastructure to take the organs, a raise the, the animals in a healthy manner, and then take these organs and, and actually provide them in the way that are going to be the most nutrient which is freeze drying. So that's one thing. The original question you asked, will you repeat it though? Cause I want to cover the other half of that. It was, you were talking about oh, liver and toxins, liver. right? Yes. Yeah. Does the so, liver hold on to toxins? Is that yeah. an issue for us? Yeah. So you actually already named it, which is, so where we store animals store those toxins is the fat. The, okay. the organs are not where we store them. That's where we filter them. And even when you filter them, it's not where they stay. So they fil- they filter, it filters. And then it, de- and then you're just like, we pee, we poop, we, we sweat. Like we have detoxification happening. All right. So do animals. They, they mm-hmm. have all the exact same things we do. They poop, they pee, they sweat. So they have outlets for any of those toxins to leave, but really it stores in the fat. Right. Just like humans, we can yeah, store toxins like in our fat. So, okay. So that makes sense. Organs are not, when it's coming from a healthy animal, then, then it's not being stored. In. Now, if it's an unhealthy animal, that's not detoxifying, you know, that has no place for the, the, the toxins to go, then yes, it's going to stay in those, or it's going to be everywhere. It's going to be horrible. Mm. Okay. That yeah. Makes so that makes, yeah. Thank you for answering that. Wow. wow. <laughs> now I'm kind of craving some, some pluck. I'm going to go down. No, I, <laughs> I want pluck and I want some liver pate. I want all of it. <laughs> and so, I, I, I don't want to like, I, I so don't want to be that person that just scares people away from me just eating things, you know? And I, I think, I, no. I think, you know, it's always important to like, it just do as much as you can 
in a day, you know what I mean? And, and my wife talks about this all the time. It's like, just choose one thing. Mm-hmm. Just choose one thing because the reality is, is we're overwhelmed. And we're, when we, when we're making choices, we're making these poor choices when we're in overwhelmed state. Like I think about just in my own life, when I make a bad choice, cause I didn't sleep well the night before and, or because I've, I'm, I've hit decision fatigue and I'm overwhelmed. Those are the two main causes. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. horrible food choices when I haven't gotten good sleep. Horrible. Yeah. And before we started recording today, we were talking about COVID last year. Everyone was just like comfort food because our stress was at an all time high, not and sleeping for new year's resolutions. You made the point that like 80% of resolutions just totally fizzle because we're trying to do too many things or we just don't have a practical solution. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, one of the hardest things to do. So one of the, one of the things that comes with any health choice is a habit change. So habits and health go hand in hand. I mean, you talk to anyone who's trying to get off of um, smoking cigarettes, for example, they'll tell you, you can't just say, I'm, you can't just like say, I'm not, I'm going to stop. Like, no, you have to actually change your habit around that, that vice. So you have to stop walking the same direct or driving or walking in the same directions that you would go to stop, to buy those cigarettes. You actually have to change the route. So that way your eye, your brain doesn't see that, that stimulus, right? You have to change the people that you associate with. Like you have to change the habit and it's really hard. It's really hard to change habits. And I think that's why so many new year's resolutions fizzle by, by February, 80%, as you said, 80% fizzle by February. So that's barely 30 days, right? (laughs) That people even stick to it. And so when I look at health and when I think about, well, what's the future of health? Because you know, we're at a place where in our modern society, where we're, we're pretty darn aware of what's possible, what's healthy. Right. But as you just mentioned, when COVID hit, what happened, all of it went out the window for the majority of people, even some really healthy people, it just went out the window and they defaulted to comfort foods, to alcohol, to the vices, to the addictions. So when I hear that, and when I see that, I'm like, well, that, that tells me then that every health idea out there is not truly Grounded. grounded. It's not, it's not necessarily the right one because the right one is the one that you can choose daily that it won't, doesn't right. matter what's If it's raining or sunny, it's the one that you can make a choice daily and you can do because you are taking care of your body. And it's not one that's going to tax you emotionally. It's one that you do because you want to feel good. You want to live long that you know, your why, you know, why you want to be on this earth and and why you are on this earth. Right? So to me, it's like the health change is the one that doesn't require a new habit. And that is what pluck is. Pluck is you, we already season our food. We already do it. It's, it's ingrained. It's not a new habit to season your food, but what you season your food with is a choice. And if you can choose, you know, salt and pepper, or, or, you know, or Lowry's, you know, all purpose seasoning or something, then wouldn't it be better just to choose something that has nutrients that's actually contributing to your health, not taking away your health. So that's yeah. how I look at it. It's like, boom, like no habit change. All I have to do is just use it. And I get benefit yeah. that I didn't get before. And so when I think of the future of health, I'm looking for more things like that. Like I want things that will not require habit change, but will up. Mm-hmm the ante to my health. Yeah. Simple adds flavor and you're adding nutrition. So you're probably combating food addictions. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, and that's the thing too. Um, I think that's a great point is that when we, when we get nutrients that we're not, our bodies are usually, are usually imbalanced with. So when we get some balance around our nutrients, it does affect our cravings. It does affect our ability to deal with our addictions that's one thing I got actually from doing the carnivore diet. The carnivore diet was so easy because there's no, like there's, there's such, it's so narrow in what you can eat. Right. Mm-hmm. That it gave me the space from addiction, from any kind of food cravings or addictions. It gave me the space so that now when, when I'm feeling something come up like a craving, I can actually take a breath and I can do one of two things. I can distract myself to see if the craving, you know, like go for a run, get outside, go for a walk, something like that, just to distract myself from the craving to see if it's still there 20 minutes later. Usually it's not, mm-hmm. or I can take a breath, drink some water. Cause a lot of times our cravings are actually signs that we're thirsty, you totally. know, or right. the third thing is I can just make sure that thing that I might be craving is not in my household at all. So I, it's not even <laughs> an option. 
Yeah. That's the best trick of all. (laughs) That is my number one thing. Yeah. If it's in the house, I'll eat it. If it's not, I don't even think about it. Just don't buy it. Totally. And, and, and when it's not an option, this is the hard thing. This is the really hard thing is, is, is when it's not an option and you have to just sit in the craving, that's, that's where the change is going to happen. Yeah. Your brain learns from that. That yes. And you and you start to sit and like, why am I, you know, why is this coming up? And then you start to realize, oh, wait, I'm missing this person. Or maybe I'm, I'm feeling really stressed or I'm feeling really sad. Or it's just, a feeling comes up and you have to be in that feeling. And that's something we, you know, so many of us avoid. And I think that's what COVID showed us, right? Is we're, we're avoiding the, oh my gosh, I'm stuck in my house or I'm avoiding the fear or the anxiety of getting COVID, whatever it is. It's mm-hmm. like, no, be in the feeling because if you, if you stay in it, then no, that addiction, that craving is no longer going to control you. Yeah. Rather than feeding right. it over and over. Yeah. And just numbing, numbing it. Yeah. And then, and then next time it comes up, you're like, you said, you're teaching your body like, Oh, when this comes up, it's not that I'm actually sad or, or afraid. It's actually, uh, I keep feeding it ice cream. So that just means I'm hungry for ice cream. But yeah, it, this uh, must work. Ice cream makes yeah. me feel better. So <laughs> why would right. I stop? Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm really into that right now. I, I think of like Dave Matthews, that song, like, um, the space between he has that song. Oh yeah. yeah. Love that song. Yeah, I always think of like, when I think about that song and just that idea of like, there's, there's, you know, every there's space, even in atoms, like even so something like a table that feels solid to us. Well, if you were looking, looking at it from a atomic level, like it's there's space. So there's space in everything. And I think that the more we can look for that space in, in ourselves and take breaths and just kind of be in whatever's going on, instead of looking for that immediate gratification in, in food, it's funny as a chef, I actually think that we're, I, I, I think as a society, we're too food focused. I know, I know that's like the yeah. opposite thing a chef should be saying, but I just think we are. I, th- I think I am, I am, I am way too yeah. food focused. I, I think that there's more health in moving away from thinking of food as a treat or as a reward and looking at, at it more of like, no, it's sustenance to get me to the things I want to do out there or get me to the connection I want to make with that person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's more, more people living to eat than eating to live. Yes. That's hard because we've been biologically wired to find food so that we can survive. But in the meantime, we started eating fake food. So we never really resolved that, like the scarcity mindset. Yeah. There's food everywhere you look Yet We're more malnourished as a country than probably ever before, but there's food on every corner. I know it's clearly not an issue of calories because we're a country (laughs) filled with obese people. I mean, it's it's something like 73%, right? It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, It's it's only getting worse. It is. It's getting worse. And, um, and I, yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating. Yeah. Well, James, you've already shared some amazing advice and I think like practical tips people can take away today. But before we let you go, I would love to ask you just one final piece of advice that people can start applying in their life. Yeah. To be um, healthier or happier. So we talked a lot about food products. Um, So here's a, here's a cup. Actually, I'll give you, I'll give, I'll just reiterate something that I'm sure you probably mentioned a lot. So one is um, you need to read ingredient labels. You have to like, so the reading of that, I don't care about calories. Don't worry about the calories and all that stuff. Read the ingredients. I I kind of, I recently, I'm going to be mentioning this on my, my Instagram soon, but I'm joking about the one ingredient food diet. So one ingredients one ingredient foods diet. And the idea being that look for foods that are one ingredient and then combine them. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the idea. But so definitely read, read food uh, labels that that would be the first one. Second thing is, is um, meal planning. Meal planning is a big mover in not only your health, but also your wallet, because you don't make impulsive buys when you meal plan, when you meal plan, you create a list of ingredients you go to the grocery store, you only go off the list. You're not going off of what's on sale or what your cravings, you know, bring up. You just go off of the list and you can actually, when you meal plan, you can ensure that you're designing that meal plan during the week in what serves you. And so, for example, if you have a busy day, don't plan a meal that's going to be labor intensive, do a slow cooker meal. 
that you put everything in the slow cooker in the morning and it's done when you go to have dinner, like plan, always give more food and dinner so that you have leftovers. I love lunch, lunchtime leftovers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like me too. Me too. And you just lunchify that lunchify dinner and don't think it has to be the same meal. You could make it as a wrap. You can make it as a soup. You can make it as a salad, you know, just take dinner and repurpose it. So save your time. Don't spend so much time in the kitchen. The other thing, and this is probably the biggest one is make your own salad dressings. It's really simple because where a lot of these kind of ingredients that are thrown off our diets and our cravings are, they're in those packaged dressings and sauces that we're buying. Mm-hmm. There's so yeah, many preservatives and so many things that are keeping it shelf stable. There's so many sweeteners. There's just so many poor oils. So if you can make your own dressing, you're going to be um, already going down a healthier path. And here's the tip to making your own dressing. Just think of it as a ratio. It's three to one. So um, you can do three to one or five to one. I recommend three to one because I find that that's best. So it's three parts oil to one part acid. So three, mm. part, three to one could be anything. You just got to keep it the same. So it could be tablespoons, three tablespoons to one tablespoon, three tablespoons to olive oil, one tablespoon to lemon juice, three tablespoons to avocado oil, one tablespoon to balsamic vinegar. You, you know what I mean? You, you yeah, pick yeah. whatever the acid is, you pick whatever the oil is, but just do that three to one, put it in a mason jar, shake it, add a little salt, pluck, pepper, whatever, you know, whatever you want, whatever season you want, yeah. voila, you have salad dressing and it's going to be a good salad dressing. Perfect. Yeah. So simple. I love that. And I love the lunchifying your dinner. Yes. That's a great, I I love (laughs) repurposing. Why not? Just while you're in the kitchen, cook more and then you can recycle, repurpose. It's so good. It's so good to do it that way. And and I think the biggest thing is people get trapped with is they, they get stuck on like what it looks like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, I don't want to eat the same thing over and over. What, but you can do there's so there's like simple tricks. Like, let's just say you have a roast chicken, right? So you eat the roast chicken dinner. Well, the next day you can turn it into a roast, uh, a chicken soup by just adding some coconut milk if you want, or, or mm. even some broth, right. And, and or you can turn it into a salad and, and just put salad on it. Another thing you can do is just simply have the roast chicken on the side again, but instead now add some fresh herb, just, just cut up some parsley or just add something new to it. doesn't Mm. have to be, you don't have to make up a whole new dish, but just add something fresh where the colors pop because the biggest thing with leftovers is that the colors are no longer vibrant because it's been Mm -hmm. cooked. So just Mm -hmm. add something that is vibrant and it will inspire you. It will visually sensorily inspire you to want to eat it again. Yeah. That's a great tip. Love that. All right. I'm inspired for lunch. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm ready to eat. Time. <laughs> <laughs> James, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. You are an incredible chef and quite a unique chef. I can't imagine there are many chefs out there like you that have such a basis in nutrition. And I know your wife is, she practices nutrition. So yeah, sure well, thank you. It, it, all around the house. Yeah, it's true. I, a lot of chefs know how to cook, but they don't necessarily know what's healthy. And, um, so thank you. Yeah. It's been a big yeah. focus of mine. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure learning about pluck and about organ meats. And we're so excited to share it with our audience. So everyone that's listening, we are sharing a discount code with you. So you can try pluck for yourself. It is biohacker babes 10. So you can go to eatpluck.com to get this amazing, amazing organ meat seasoning. And James, we're going to send everyone to your Instagram and Facebook page. I think you're a little more active on Instagram. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, and it's eat at eat pluck for the pluck company. And for my individual, it's at chef James Barry with an A B A R R Y. And, um, yeah, yeah. Awesome. But, um, pluck is great. And when anyone that wants to learn more about the nutrition is follow us on, on, uh, Instagram because we're constantly putting stuff out about that. Yeah. You're doing amazing videos and reels are just so informative. So Thank I'm you. following along. We invite everyone else to do the same. Thank you yes. so much for this today. We had a blast and uh, we just can't thank you enough for sharing. Yeah, your time. Thank you so much for having me. You both are so wonderful. I, I hope, uh, I hope everyone got something out of this. Thank you. I'm sure. And absolutely. Yep. <laughs> All right. And thanks to everyone that tuned in today. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the biohacker babes podcast, head over to Apple podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking.